Twin Peaks is over 30 years old. There's so much more to learn about Twin Peaks. I, we recommend you pick up our book, Twin Peaks Unwrap the Book, to find out even more about the show that you love. We have tons of great stuff. We have over 100 interviews. We have commentary from the community. We have us. We have some great photos that have never been seen by most folks. I think if you're a diehard Twin Peaks fan, you're going to absolutely love this book, and you will definitely learn something new. So pick it up at bluerosemag.com. I got idea, man. You take me for. And welcome to this week's edition of Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Brian Kazaskin. Beside me, as always, Ben Durant. And Ben, today we have a our special third guest, yes, Joel Baco. Our honorary uh, co-host, third uh, third <laughs> host, Joel Baco, the, the wonderful man who does Journey Through Twin Peaks video essays. Hey, Joel. Hey, guys. Glad to be here. How you doing? I'm great. I've um, been looking forward to this conversation, so this is going to be fun. Yeah. Uh, a so, whole week I've had to keep my, my lips sealed. And... <laughs> so, yes, uh, Brian has finally gotten through the whole series of Twin Peaks, the yes. TV show. It feels good. It feels good. It feels good. And I, I haven't even let him talk that much when we actually did record episode 29. <laughs> People so th- might be disappointed by last week's episode because of that. I don't know. But this, this is it. This is uh, Joel, you can ask any questions you want to, Brian, and I, I feel like I'm going to leave it to you guys. Yeah, I mean, uh, okay. I think la- last week, you know, people heard me. We I watched it. Uh, we talked about it. I didn't get into um, much... I wanted to watch it three more times. I wanted to let it sink in. I wanted to have you on the show so we can all just have more time to elaborate. Because I felt like if I did that last week, that show would have went on forever. Yeah. It would have just for, for been life. going on. And in that show, I mean, for that show, you you and I watched it together. And usually, usually we don't watch episodes together, but we actually watched it together. And right away, yeah. right after we watched it, we, we started talking about the show. That was so, my first time watching it. Right. So usually you have you have time to take notes usually when you watch yeah. it and we get together. So, yeah. So now you've had time to simmer and yeah, really, take it, really and, take it and, in. Yeah, really take it in. So, Joel, what do you want to ask Brian? Well, to start with, um, I guess since you talked a little bit about your first impressions in the previous episode, what were your you said you went back and watched a couple times yeah what do you feel like you gained from repeat viewings what what hit you um what i gained is more like i'm picking up on small stuff just picking up on more theories i have um i think the first time i watched it it was like oh my god this is this is so good and um, this is, you know, I'm so happy David Lynch was directing this and the performance is really cool. And like the offbeat things that happened were so awesome. But I, when I see a real good movie, I have to see it again. Cause I yeah. like, you're so in awe that first time you, you have like, you're, you're so in awe of it. And then you're like, Oh, what, what just happened? So like, <laughs> I got to see it again because I like, I know I missed stuff. Um, but what I got out of it is, uh, you hit upon this in last week's episode when we did our anniversary, but it did feel like the show did go full circle in a way. Um, it felt like it, it's given us 
what we wanted. Like what everybody you you're getting through season two and you're like, yes, this is the stuff I've been waiting for, and it mm-hmm. it felt natural and it you had some mystery and maybe it solved some mysteries from people for for some people um or maybe it made people go, what the frick am I watching? <laughs> um, now I'm excited to watch Firewalk with me because I really want to know more about um how this all fits into you know, that movie or how yeah. that movie fits into this mythology. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so Brian, I know some people uh, contacted me and, and they wondered, uh, it, I think you had brought it up in some episode that you thought maybe Cooper would get possessed by Bob, yes. which is still, uh, yeah. Who knows if that happened, but it, Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but people, I wondered, remember you saying that. Yeah. People yeah. wondered about that. And then wh- where did you, it didn't happen right away. What, what did you, what was your feelings about that? And then to get to the last episode? Um, well, Okay, about the possession. You know, the first time seeing it, that's what I th- I thought of and everything. But my third time watching this, is it is it a possession because they talk about doppelgangers? The doppelganger, mm-hmm. you have an evil and you have a good, the yin and yang, the right. white and the black, white and black lodge. Right. Um, evil twin. Or the whatever. evil twin. And maybe, like, I, I, you think of these those cliche sayings, uh, Maybe like every like a, a bad there's good in everybody. Even how bad someone could possibly be, there's a hint of goodness. Mm. Or right. uh, the, the the best person in the world, there could still be a hint of um, you know badness in them, or just a hint of it, um, something devious. So I was yeah. like thinking about that, and then when the little man you see him he says doppelganger and he's got the white eyes mm. then you have Laura with white eyes and then yeah. then that's when Cooper stabbed and then all of a sudden it, it gives you that like why was he stabbed and um Wendell Merle is like I want to have uh for your soul yeah I'll let Annie I'll, I'll let Annie live right. and he goes yeah I'll do it because Cooper is that guy he'll take a bullet for anybody and this is the, a woman he's falling in love with. He, of course, he's going to save her, and that's the good in him. But then the doppelganger comes out, and then he's chasing them. Mm. He's chasing his doppelganger because it gets out. So is it a possession? I guess in a way it could be a possession, but it's Cooper's doppelganger yeah. that is out now, and his good yeah. is trapped, and it needs to come back out because he's such a good guy. Um, I guess that's how I took it the third time watching is, is this whole doppelganger thing. And, and Leland's doppelganger, his evil doppelganger is in the lodge because mm-hmm. I, that would lead me to believe that when Leland died, he died as himself. Mm. He wasn't possessed when he died. Well, Bob left his right. body. And he did, cry. yeah, he, he, did, he remembered everything. He remembered everything. But do you think, do you think the bad, so it's interesting too because, and we'll, we can talk about this a little more after, but. Um, what you're talking about is sort of a difference between possession and doppelgangers. Yeah, I So I guess. guess one of the questions with Cooper then is, if that's his doppelganger at the end, well, there's two questions, a couple questions. One is, where is where is the real Cooper, if that's the doppelganger? The real and Cooper, then, yeah. um, I would say, is trapped in the lodge. Okay. And then another question, and this one I honestly haven't thought that much about until you were just talking about the doppelganger Leland and the Lodge. So how does doppelganger Leland, how does Leland having a doppelganger relate to the idea that he was possessed by Bob, which was Mm. a different thing from Cooper? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's like, 
that that doppelganger in the lodge isn't. I don't think that's supposed to be Bob. That's supposed to be something to do with Leland. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's it's interesting that there's no doppelgangers. I mean, there's a, there's doppelganger ideas, but there's no literal named doppelgangers in the series until this final episode, and mm. now it throws everything we've seen before <laughs> yeah. into a whole new light of right. possibility. And it makes me wonder if the doppelganger thing is just an easy way for the viewer to swallow a possession. So mm. the, maybe is a, do, mm. is a doppelganger could be metaphoric. Uh, metaphor yeah. for possession that yeah. you can be possessed by evil mm. maybe not by like the saint and i'm not talking about, like saint possessing you but you can be possessed to do evil things or you yeah. can be possessed to do very nice things and um when people say doppelganger maybe is that a way of him giving the audience an easy way to figure to to, to kind of like this is what it is without going down the whole possession because you think possession exorcist or satan mm-hmm. And it's—I don't think it has anything to do with that kind of stuff. So I don't know. Like a part of me is like, is it doppelganger? It's Lynch, so nothing's really like uh, set in stone. It's—it's yeah. it's how you take out of it. And so a part of me is sort of like, yeah, is it doppelganger just an easy way for the audience to take this all in? Hmm. Um, or is it truly because you—we actually see physically two Coopers, and. That's it was kind of cool. You're seeing yeah. Cooper chase Cooper, and you see Leland with the white eyes, so, and, mm. and then you see the little man with the white eyes, and then you see Laura with the white eyes, and you're like, wow! Like it, it's physically giving us two Coopers. Like the good one is chasing yeah. the bad right. one. Yeah, and so is and we've it, never seen that before no. that I can think of in Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah. not at all. So yeah, it is a yeah. fascinating twist, and it's funny. I mean. I'm sorry or happy to say I don't know. Maybe I'm happy to say I don't have a you know yeah. answers for all, <laughs> for all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I don't. I think, I it's, think there's no answers, and I don't think we'll ever get answers that are totally concrete, and which is good because um, it, it lets the mystery live a little bit. I do think the new show is going to have a lot to. I don't know if I would say say. Um, it's going to have a lot to do. I think with doppelgangers. That's my guess. Or um, Cooper I think becoming, really, getting out of his... Well, it has yeah. to focus on that. That's, yeah. And I've heard people go, oh, no, no, it's 25 years. Cooper got rid of the possession. It's a new story mm-hmm. now. And I'm just no, thinking, you have think got so. to be kidding me. That right. is the story. Yeah. That's the reason to bring it back. That's. The, I think people just really don't want Cooper to be evil. Right. Or even to have an evil Cooper, yeah. even if it's not the same Cooper. But, um, so yeah, I have yeah. no idea how they're going to deal with that. It's right. such a... It, it's one of those things I can't wrap my head around, yet I know they must have, because they made this. Yeah. Yeah. So they have some answer. They have some explanation. It, evil and, Cooper uh, would be amazing. Yeah. So, you know, I was thinking... I was oh, thinking, God. I was thinking, Kyle yeah. McLaughlin's going to be uh, great at that. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking this recently. I feel like this is, since we're bringing this up, it's only recently that I was thinking, okay, there's fans out there that only want good Cooper, and yet, at the same time, the story demands that you have mm. uh, bad Cooper. And I thought I only thought about this recently. It's like, It'll be 25 years later, the lodge opens up, and good Cooper's allowed to come out, but bad Cooper could still be out in the world, and you have, like, this almost, I don't know if it would be a chase, but you could have both, you could kind of be a win-win. You could have bad Cooper and Cooper both in the same, I don't know if that's possible, but that would be kind of, I think it would be interesting to be able to have both. Well, 
I put, I put up a post on the Doug Poe website about that where um, I would encourage anybody, you know, um, it might be hard to find because it might be buried, but it keeps getting answers, so it may be on at the front page. But, you know, anybody who's listening to his thoughts on this, I encourage you go there and comment, um, Doug Poe, World of Blue Forum for Twin Peaks. Uh, I put up a thing. It was like almost like a questionnaire. It had like 20 questions of like, yeah. what or what do you think... Cooper will be? What do you think he won't be? Like, do you think there can be two physical Coopers in the world? Or when there's one Cooper in the world, does the other path have to be in the lodge? Like, is that something that's, mm. that's like one of the rules of the story, so to speak? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, if people say different things. Some people think, oh, no, no, it's like, you can't have two Coopers out. There's, mm. there's only one at a time. And other people have been saying what you were saying, Ben, which is like, no, what if one of them comes out and the other one's still out there, and then there's two Coopers? Yeah. And so, it, and a, another interesting thing, too, that John Thorne mentioned, which maybe he'll bring up, um, but maybe won't, it won't necessarily tie into the topic he's talking about, but, you know, maybe he'll touch on it, is um, he really, he, he wrote an essay on this, on this episode, and specifically the Black Lodge sequence, which brought up something I hadn't really thought about before, which is, is it really correct to say that the good Cooper, that Cooper goes in and then his evil double exits and, you know, good Cooper, or, or the, the real Cooper is left behind? Or is it correct to say that the real Cooper goes into the lodge and then he splits mm. into two people? Yeah. And the one that you see in the final shot is half of Cooper. It's hmm. the evil half that we haven't seen much of because he's a pretty good guy, but that has always been there as part of him. And meanwhile, the one that is left behind, wherever that may be, in the lodge, in the ether, or if he just evaporated when the other one, you know, yeah. um, whatever happened to him, that, the one, I'll put it this way, the one that's being chased through the lodge, is that the good Cooper? Yeah. Meaning it's only half of the real Cooper as well. So even though we like to think Cooper's a good guy, the good guy's the real one, is it really more proper to say both are the real one and now they're split in half? Mm. There's like they've been torn asunder and there's no longer one whole Cooper anywhere. There's an evil Cooper and a good Cooper, the two extremes, um, and the balanced Cooper has is, is what's been lost. Yeah. So that that's a really interesting thing to ponder too, you know. Yep. Um, and there is a log lady intro. Did you watch it? I did not watch the log. I was supposed to. I was supposed to. Uh, <laughs> she what... has a very interesting things to say. What it may she... be the most interesting. It's one of the most interesting for for sure of all the log lady intros. Do you remember what she said? She says, um, and I'm paraphrasing here. And now, so I think her first words are. And then there were two, mm. or were there always two? Yeah, that's yeah. it. And that's, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's so it's trying to get you thinking. And that makes sense. Um, I think that's where almost where it goes to that, like you know, the saying, like uh, what evil men do. Oh, what men? Yeah, uh, what's e that thing? Yeah, based on Bob, is it really just another way of saying the evil that men yeah. do? Yes, and like, can, right. is there evil in all of us? And there's good in all of us. And yes. like, like I was saying, even in the worst person, there's good, and even in the best person, there's still bad. So yes, I right. think on so many levels, it works. It works. Like you can pick it apart. Everything you just said, I think, uh, works. Like there's no wrong answer there. It, like it just works in so many levels. And um, so I, I had another theory, and this might like I don't know if you guys thought about this. 
I'm sure you have. Yeah, with Sarah. No, man. It's, I'm even just talking about the doppelgangers at the beginning of the episode. I'm realizing for all the stuff I've thought about and written about, I don't know if I've really focused that much on doppelgangers. And mm. There's so much potential there. So yeah, yeah, no, this is an infinite mind. So yeah, let's yeah. hear it. What's your <laughs> What's your theory? All right. So my theory is okay. So Cooper allows Wyndham Earl to kill him or take his soul. To save Annie. But then Bob is like, no, that's he can't do that here. Only I could do that. So he kills Wyndham Earl, or, or mm-hmm. what I, it, it seems that he takes Wyndham Earl's soul because every time there's a soul mentioned, you see the flames. Well, I, I think mm-hmm. so anyway. I could be wrong. But like when he says, kind of your soul, you see the flames. And then when he, he does something to Bob, the flames come out of the top of his head. And I feel like Bob is is in control here. This is Bob's yeah. place, and I felt like Windermerl got cocky. Like Windermerl mm, brought yeah, totally him. Totally agreed with that. Yeah, like Windermerl like has been like obviously we, there's there's hints that he wants to go to this place and he wants to bring Cooper to this place because he knows he can destroy Cooper to get back at him. Yeah. For for uh, stealing his wife, and then he killed his wife. And I, I think Wyndamurl was a good person, and that was his breaking point uh, when that happened to him in life. And then instead of um, allowing, maybe you can go back to the um, fire walk with me, the fire inside of someone, he allowed that fire to take over him, the anger, the jealousy. Because um, it always seems to or like Cooper. the— Cooper. Yeah, uh, Wyndamurl with— um, Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. fire seems to kind of— uh, represent anger or it consumes you to make you angry that could be the fire in someone um, that like allows you to go in that direction so winter merle i think he gets cocky bob takes care of you know gets rid of him and bob Mm -hmm. takes is is the one that takes cooper's soul and that creates a doppelganger so um that's always the big like so how do you think he takes how and where do you think he takes cooper's soul well it's before the doppelganger appears right yeah, right when he, uh, you know, Bob's like, I, you know, you can't do that. Yeah. It's my job. And then all of a sudden, if I remember correctly, you see the shadow in the mm-hmm. background. Oh, the curtain. The curtain yeah. shadow. And then it's, it, he has it there because, um, you know, Cooper was stabbed. But this is yep. where I want to go with all this. Yeah. Le- Leland, his doppelganger is in there. So that means yep. Le- was Leland in this place. And um, did Leland decide to take, to save uh, either Sarah or Laura's life, and he took it? Like, like a part of me is like, why was Leland uh, targeted to be mm. possessed by Bob? Was mm. Sarah, was a loved one up at stake and he was the one to take the fall to protect them. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Cause Sarah, yeah. cause Sarah Palmer lives, and it seems like it always the Palmer family is connected because Wyndham Merle uses Sarah Palmer as a conduit mm. to tell Major Briggs, I'm mm. Wyndham Merle, I'm in the I'm here. So that's So weird. basically you're saying that is Bob's method of taking souls to get people to sort of sacrifice themselves to save somebody else. Yeah. Cause That's interesting. I've never, re- I've never really, I've never thought about the applicability to Leland just because we get that story in the, um, 
in the show about how I was a child and mm. I let him in and everything like yeah. that. So I always you're kinda, right, you're right. Yeah, but he, did, he did. No, but I mean, yeah. it, it, there, there could be some way to connect it. That is kind of interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. Actually, it's funny talking about the Wyndham and the thing. Um, is reminding me of like a thing of a, a sort of a theory that I I would say I flirted with. I don't know if I embraced it totally, but I had a, a thought about and some of this plays out with Firewalk with me in a very roundabout way, mm. which we'll have to get back to at another time. <laughs> um, but I had this, and Ben might be able to sort of catch the drift of where I'm going with this. Yeah, because I read uh, where I where the power where the parallel emerges. Yeah, um, but I was th- I was wondering. So one of the things that interests me is what did Cooper do wrong? Mm. Well, where did he go wrong in the lodge yeah. to to sacrifice his soul? Um, because, like you said, it's like he says, "Yes, I'll give my soul for any," and that seems like a good thing. Like, why would he be punished for that? So yeah. it's like you sort of wonder different options, like what what could be the possibility. So one of the things I thought of is what if the moment where he says. Where, where Wyndham goes to take his soul, um, Cooper says, I'll give you my soul. But what if, you know, his feeling towards Wyndham is, um, and keep in mind, like I said, I flirted with this idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what if he sort of is feeling rage at Wyndham, and at that moment Bob appears, not because Bob is, using his power to swoop down and take over, but because Cooper calls him there subconsciously mm. out of a rage at Wyndham and then allows Bob to take Wyndham's soul. And in fact, by doing that, that's what actually lets Bob in because he's taking revenge on another person and, and allowing his his anger or his fear or whatever to take yeah. over. Yeah. I thought it was I a thought a of too. like, what if, what if, you know, what's that, what we're seeing, it looks like, oh, Bob stepped in and saved mm. Cooper. But what if Cooper, on some level, maybe not like a conscious level, but what if he kind of summoned him there to dispatch Wyndham, yeah. and by doing so, embraced his own dark side? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? That's totally. So, so it's just a thought yeah. that I kind of like. Okay, I got that's a theory an too. Thought, you know? Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's hear it. Well, I mean, I think it's theory. I mean, I think, it, and I think we can touch. Well, I'll step back and kind of get, kind of goes full circle here, or yeah. come together. So, yeah. First, I think that moment where that moment where uh, Wyndham Earl says, "If you give me your soul, blah blah blah," and then Bob shows up and he says, um, "He can't do that. Mm-hmm. I'll take his soul." It. The question always is: Is when he's saying, "I'll take his soul," is he talking about Wyndham Earl or is he talking about Cooper? Like you know, like it's it's one of those things where he yeah. says, "I'm going to take your soul," and then he goes to Wyndham Earl and the fire comes up. So it almost seems he to says, be, "I'll take his," right? Right. That's his. Exact I'll take word. his. So is he hmm. saying, "I will take his Wyndham Earl," which because that, that's the next thing he does is he goes to him and the fire, and the fire comes, comes, up. comes out of his head. So oh, and it, you know what else? Yeah. This just occurred to me. It's a change in what's the word in the tense or in the <laughs> now the grammar police will come for me. Uh, he says. You can't take his soul, right? Yeah. Like if, if he's talking to Wyndham. Right. Yeah. So therefore, when he says, I'll take his, he can't be talking about Wyndham hmm. because he refers to Wyndham as you. But it's misleading because he's looking at Cooper. Yes. So in our mind, he's looking at Cooper. Therefore, when he says, I'll take his, he must be talking about Wyndham. But if you actually listen to what he says, you can, maybe, I, I mean, I, I've got to go back and watch the lines and uh, read the subtitles and make sure I'm not mangling it. But I think he says, I think he switches from you to his. Maybe. So therefore, he must be talking to, either he's talking to Wyndham and saying, I'm going to take Cooper's soul, or he's talking to Cooper and saying, 
you wanted his hole, which wouldn't make sense because Cooper never said, wow, okay. Yeah, so See, they, this is why I love talking about this because every oh, yeah. time you talk about it, totally new things yeah. come up. I so, yeah, keep point. going. I'm one sorry. More, I didn't my point. Here's there. my big point, and I think you've you've gone there before and we've talked about on the on the show. Mm-hmm. It is fear and love yeah, and this is Josie. Josie died of of fear, and people. Mm. I mean, it's Abusing behind her, the yeah. scene. Behind the scenes, we're led to believe. I mean, if we have scripts and things, that she would have yep. gone to the Black Lodge and stuff, and that the fact that that Bob appeared when she died of fear, and so I think Cooper became vulnerable and let Bob in with fear. I think I think it wasn't Wyndham Earl that's been manipulating this whole thing. It's been Bob who's been, mm. and, and there's there's. There's stuff in there throughout the series and I think yeah. in other places that seem to lead us to believe that maybe Bob was after Cooper. And so I think mm. it's like – it really seems like – so he does this – Bob does this action to Wyndham Earl and then it seems like Cooper's really freaked out. And then he's like running away and it seems like he's become – to me that's what it was. Yeah. He, he becomes vulnerable yeah. and he and, – and, and, and he loses because love wasn't enough. I mean, that's Major Briggs. Is like, is love enough to yeah. s- save you, or is it the yeah. fear that you let yeah. in that destroys you? And and we could go into Star Wars, <laughs> where uh, yeah. uh, well, you know, what is the what is the exact quote from Yoda there? Uh, fear leads, leads to, to hate. hate. Hate leads to no anger. No fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate, and that leads to the dark side. So, and that's uh, so true yeah. when it comes to storytelling. It's so simple. Um, that's what I feel like. Um, Bob could just represent anger or fear. Right. So maybe your anger and fear are very close to yeah. the same thing. We're both, yeah. Yeah. And like, um, I think when Demerle had Bob in him in a way because he wanted revenge. And he said when he has Annie, I took him, he, I took him to the line, but the edge. Right. But he, he's not gotten Cooper to go over that edge. Yeah. And what is Cooper's edge? And I, he yeah. hit it. He, right. Like, Going after his vulnerability. Yeah, and, it, and in yeah. the script though, it seemed like Wyndham Earl needed somebody that was pure. He, he, he kind yes. of both, both, both uh, Annie and Cooper are kind of pure yep. people, and it yeah. seems like he needed both those people to. I kind of look at it almost like a sacrifice. It was like she's like a lamb, yeah. a sacrifice lamb. Yeah, like uh, yeah, I definitely. It's like she, if I give this to Bob, um, I will be all powerful and I can get whatever I want. And, and I think it's when right. he gets cocky yeah. and Bob is like, "No, you can't do that here. Right. That's me. You're not a god." Everybody loves that moment on the show. Yeah. <laughs> like everybody, because it's you know, the Kenneth Welsh is great, but yeah. the character is not satisfying to a lot of people, and I'm. Ninety-nine point nine percent sure that he was not satisfying and a satisfying character to David Lynch. Mm. So for him to take him out that way is uh. just so memorable. And something similar does happen in the script. So it wasn't just him, like yeah. you know, screw this character. But but the way he does it, I think it feels to a lot of people like he's stepping back in and being like, okay, you guys dealt with all the silly costume changes and the long speeches <laughs> for weeks. Now we're going to show you who's really boss. Right. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. In my first impression of that scene, though, I, I know I don't want to harp on the scene too much, but when I first saw it with you, Ben, I almost felt like Cooper came out bleeding, mm-hmm. and then he goes back in, and then we see, because everything's backwards. Everybody's saying things backwards. So it's like, why is he bleeding? And then we found out why. Was his soul already taken by Wyndham Merle? And then Bob takes Wyndham Earl because it is confusing. So did Wyndham, the Bob take Wyndham Earl's soul, which already had 
uh, Cooper's. Yeah, you know, right? And do, do you know that 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 um his his wound is that same wound that he got from Pittsburgh when he when mm. what the stab? Yeah. yeah. So like yeah, you yeah. know, yeah, Leland Leland is is being interrogated with Bob, and he says, "Oh, just like what happened with yes, with Pittsburgh." Pittsburgh. And I think I I, th- I think he said he likes knives or something like that. But it definitely seems to be so. It's recreating what Wyndham Merle did to Cooper and Pittsburgh. Yeah. With the stabbing, right? But you could yeah. be right yeah. too that it could be it could me- have other meanings. That yeah, uh, but I like that. I didn't actually did not even think about that. So that makes total sense now. I just thought like he comes out bleeding, but I didn't put the connection because it's been so long. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, mm-hmm. now that fills in the blank for me. But yeah, it was uh, uh, very interesting. I mean, so many cool theories, you know. Yeah, it's like even just talking about that one moment three of us came up with mm. totally different interpretations. It's just that that's that's why it's such a rich scene because it doesn't just tell you here's what this is. It gives you it gives you something that you can uh play with and look at from different angles and like it looks like a different thing depending which way you look at it and you kind of feel out what feels true, you know? Mm. Yeah. It, it, it's really brilliant that way, but... And it's probably why we still, uh, 25 years later, we still love this show and th- this episode, because and it... it, it yeah. now I know why. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think people would talk about the show as much or celebrate it as much if it didn't end this with this mm. episode. If yeah. it ended with Josie in the drawer pole, or, or even the original finale as scripted, um... I don't. I don't think it would retain the power that it does. I don't think it would have the cult that it does. You know, definitely. I don't think it would be coming back like it is. Yep. So my favorite uh, video of yours, a journey through Twin Peaks, is Chapter Seventeen, which is the Twin Peaks mythology. I mean, you do such a great job, kind of like laying it all out there. And uh, do you want to talk anything about that? Like, I think about the Devil's Guard and and about. The lodges and and all this different uh, mythology that they kind of sprinkle in at the end of the series. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, so there's a few. I mean, I would say also there's you know, hopefully in the future at some point if you get a chance you can have on um, Daniel Smith is is one and also mm. um, H. Perry Horton wrote a blog recently about the mythology and different aspects and he got into something which. I wish I'd addressed, I can't even remember how it kind of fell by the wayside, which is the Alistair Crowley connection, because mm. he specifically wrote about, uh, I believe, a Black Lodge in his in Moonchild. And mm. I haven't read it. I haven't read that much of Crowley in general, so I don't totally know the applicability, but that's definitely a factor. But the thing that I focused on um, in that video was, or the, the thing that I focused on was theosophy because that, for Mark Frost, was kind of the guiding light. And I think, even though we talk about this episode, how great it is in David Lynch, um, the basis for all of that was established in basically the latter half of the show, everything mm. after Laura dies, because they talk about these concepts, the Dugpas, the Dweller of the right. Threshold, the Black and White Lodge is the big one. Um, and that seems to have all come from Mark Frost. Um, certain episodes are written by Harley Payton and Bob Ingalls, but... Frost is on record saying he had an interest in uh, theosophy where you can find the origin or at least the perpetuation of, of uh, some of those concepts, um, which was, uh, just to explain a little, theosophy was a, suppose you could call it a religious movement, spiritual movement would maybe be the best way to put it, in uh, late 19th century Europe, led by Madame Blavatsky, who was a Russian exile, and it 
it's important, and you know, as somebody who, you know, is experienced or practicing, you know, has more direct experience with it, can maybe write in and correct anything I, I misrepresent. But basically, it took a lot of traditions, um, global traditions, especially from the East, and sort of integrated them with with some Western traditions as well. Very esoteric, very mystical, mm. and the idea was. Uh, to me, when I, I read stuff either about or of theosophy, the impression I get is it's much more about directly interacting with the divine. I think a lot of Western religion, um, especially by the 19th century, uh, sort of distances God somewhat, says God is out there, it's, you know, we pray or we follow his laws from a distance and, and live our lives, whereas something like theosophy and, and other sort of occult practices or esoteric practices of the time seem to me to be, uh, to, to represent sort of um, a, a different strain in, in Western civilization, which is a, a return to actual direct mystical experience, hmm. you know, sort of the, the foundational phenomena of religion, the, the actual experience of spirituality and not the not the abstraction of it through text or through myth or ritual or things like that. Um, so so basically, Mark Frost was inspired by a lot of these writers. Madame Blavatsky was one. Uh, he specifically cites Alice Bailey, who, I can't remember the name of the, of the book that she wrote, but she wrote um, a book, which I quote in the um, in the video, and also another writer, Dion Fortune. And actually, it's funny, he drops them into his book, The List of Seven, which is like a Sherlock, not uh, to Arthur Conan Doyle, supernatural kind of mystery thing. Mm. Um, but <laughs> he got a little carried away because I, I realized the book takes place in the 1880s and Dion Fortune was, <laughs> was born in like 1880 or something. Huh. So she would have been like five when <laughs> she's in the book. <laughs> so I funny. saw that. But, but obviously he wanted to throw him in there and I think, you know, he didn't think somebody would be making a video 20 years later <laughs> and checking what's <laughs> on the tape. <laughs> but, you know, so it's pretty funny. But but yeah, he, he there's a great interview with, uh, I think it's The Independent, it's a UK newspaper or magazine, and he uh, really goes in-depth about all the sources. Oh, I was inspired by this and that, and I was I was fascinated by theosophy, and I wanted to include that, uh, having the lodges there and, and all of this stuff. So there's so much you could dig into with that. And, and making the videos, uh, at the point I started them, there were certain things I was very familiar with. I was by by the time I started the videos, I was very familiar with Firewalk with me. Um, I was pretty familiar with the history of the show in general, what happened, why it happened, etc. Um, but the mythology I had really almost no knowledge of, so I really had to do a lot of research for that. And I started by contacting um, Daniel, who I just mentioned, and I knew that he was into. Um, esoteric and, and occult writing and stuff, and that he had he was very interested in the Twin Peaks mythology and where it came from. So he gave me some pages to read. I went down, I kind of went down the rabbit hole and, you know, read these different things. And uh, my concern with that video is I wanted to give it a sort of a structure for people to mm. kind of grasp, because you can just, and really when they were writing it, they were throwing everything at the wall to see what stuck. So yeah. you do get a lot of dead ends and random things, but I wanted to look and say, what are the specific things they mention, and how do those actually function within the narrative and pay off in the end? So I kind of honed in on three concepts they bring up, which actually come from outside the show. Um, and they're really, I, excuse me, I think they're the only three that you could even, 
even indirectly tie back to theosophy um, because they're not central concepts of theosophy. Like, you don't open up, you know, whatever the grand text of theosophy is, and, ah, the black and white lodge and the Doug Preds and the dweller on the threshold. Mm. Um, they're very on the fringes, but they're still connected with it. Um, so knowing that he was into theosophy and knowing that these concepts were in the show, I thought, okay, where do they come from? What's their origin? And how do they manifest themselves in the, in the, uh, in the show? So basically I, I took those three ideas, the lodges, the dweller on the threshold, and the Doug Puzz, and I looked at each one. So yeah. I'll go through them very quickly because, you know, <laughs> I'm probably going to end up at this we're going to talk than the actual video that explains them. But to be very quick about it, um, Doug Puzz comes from a, sort of a legend that's not quite accurate historically about uh, red-capped Tibetan priests who were sort of on the dark side, um, practice black magic, and they're in a book called The Devil's Guard. Yeah. Yeah. by, uh, I think, Talbot Mundy. Mm. And uh, he, I think he was interested in theosophy. I don't know how active he was with it, but I, I believe he was shaped and influenced by it, and certainly by writings of Madame Blavatsky, who had uh, written about Dugpas and sort of perpetuated that legend of, oh, yes, the Dugpas were, you know, evil sorcerers or, or, or whatever in Tibet. Um, so, so they're basically, I, I thought, well, what's the function of the show? They're mentioned two or three times, all in one episode, mm. by uh, Winda Merle, who keeps... Uh, Winda Merle and... Oh. No, just Winda Merle. I think it is I think. Just he Winda mentions Merle. it with yeah. Leo, and he mentions it in that black and white video. Yeah. And he keeps saying they're evil sorcerers who, uh, you know, are able to... Um, you know, they're, they're basically able to connect with the, with the dark side, mm. which in this case is the Black Lodge. So what I said is, okay, so the fundamental things about Dugpas and Twin Peaks... You know, for the briefness, for the brief time they're mentioned, is they're figures who are worldly figures. They're they're not spirits. They're they're people in mm. our society who can access the dark side and kind of open the world up to evil forces. Now, who does that in Twin Peaks? Who is that? Well, really, it's Wyndham Merle. Yeah, he's the one yeah. who is who's kind of that bridge between the human world. Wants wants to be the bridge between the human world. Yeah, and the spirit world, uh, the dark side of the spirit world. And he says that explicitly in that episode that Mark Frost actually wrote the only episode Mark Frost co-wrote between Leland's death and the finale, hmm. uh, episode 26. He says, you know, there's a place called the Black Lodge, and we're going to find it. He's all <laughs> excited. And he wants to, and he looks in the map. and the kind of, So there's a clear through line there of this idea of a worldly figure using these evil forces in the world, trying hmm. to open them up and bring it into the world, drag it there. So, so that's where I think the Dugpa factors in. Um, the, another, the, the big connection is um, the lodges, you know, or the big concept is the lodges. Mm. Um, that's mentioned over and over, episode after episode, the White Lodge, the Black Lodge, and then finally, you know, the final episode, we go into the Black Lodge. So clearly that's the big concept that everyone remembers. Most people are like, what's a Doug? They would never remember that mm. from the show, even though, yeah. you know, if you think about it, it, it plays an important function. Um, or it articulates something that's important anyways. Uh, so the Lodges were, uh, they were mentioned by Crowley, uh, who was in that circle. I don't think he was a theostatite. Like I said, I'm, I'm the worst person to ask about that, that particular aspect of it. But um, he was in a circle with Blavatsky. I think he was in the Order of the Golden Dawn, um, sort of secret society with W.B. Yeats, hmm. um, who, was, who was into theosophy. And... Um, so he wrote about that, but the place, the two places that I drew on were, for the video were um, 
Blavatsky, who doesn't use the word lodges, um, or three, there are three sources, actually. Blavatsky doesn't use the word lodges. She talks about the Great White Brotherhood, which sounds kind of super Aryan and not <laughs> kind of weird. But I don't think she meant, even though there were some weird racial things in her um, philosophy, I don't think in that case she was talking about white race so much as white light or white magic. Yeah. So the idea was there's this brotherhood of people around the world who sort of practice, they cultivate the good forces to fight the bad forces. Um, so she doesn't talk about a lodge specifically, but it's the same sort of idea of good versus a broad good force versus a broad evil force. Um, now, Talbot Mundy's book, The Devil's Guard, the one that mentions the Douglas, mm. the whole book is about a battle between the black lo- a black lodge and a white lodge. Mm. Douglas live in a black lodge, and the good Tibetan priests live in the white lodge. Right. And the hero is caught in the battle between them. So that's an obvious source, um, especially because they quote literally just take passages where they're talking about Dugpas. And I think you mentioned that. I just listened to your episode 27 show. You you mentioned that. It's like, I don't know if you should use the word plagiarism, but it is literally direct <laughs> lines in the book. Right. And so they they were reading it, unless they're psychics. They they had that book on hand. Yes. Like, there's no question about it, and, even though they don't yeah. remember. And Harley Payton, when he spoke with us, or I think I remember hearing that he said they had a lot of obscure books. Yeah. And so they definitely could yeah. have... Uh, yeah. I think that's what it was. I think they went to a used bookstore, grabbed like 50 books, <laughs> and were just tearing through them and finding interesting passages and highlighting them, drawing them in. Yeah. So, so that's the Dugpa thing. The Lodges, obviously, um, I don't know how early that entered into it, but that's a funny coincidence that they got that book after the White Lodge was first mentioned, because mm. there aren't many other books that I know of other than Moonchild, I suppose, where you have a Black Lodge and a White Lodge um, like fighting each other. So and that, yeah. that sounds like it's straight from there. It does. Um, and then the, other, the third source for the, for the Lodges, uh, which is actually the only one I believe that Frost has specifically cited, is the book Psychic Self-Defense. And he's mm. quoted that several times in the Raptum Plastic book that just came out by John Thorne. Yeah. He says that was a book that meant a lot to him when he was young, and he read it, and it influenced him. Now, if you read Psychic Self-Defense, and I've, I've read some passages, I looked for the passages that talk about the Black Lodge, it's a very different idea. It's talking about, um, like almost like, you know how Masons have lodges and stuff. So like sure. a secret society lodge um, that practices black magic and, and kind of, excuse me, like tries to influence people for evil. So she's talking about corrupt, kind of sinister human lodges. Mm. And that's what the black lodges is not. So it's, it's not some spiritual force out, there's some spiritual epicenter out in the woods. Mm. But he took that notion of, of that sort of, that physical location of evil. And I think that's one of Frost's big contributions to the show, is let's have place. Like, let's have a, a real literal thing mm. that, that is the source of the evil. Let's get specific about this, because Lynch likes to keep things very abstract. Right. I think Potts wanted to make that concrete. So, so the Rogers is that core idea, um, loosely connected to theosophy, mm. um, more sort of a general esoteric thing that, that he brought in. Now, the third concept, and this is mentioned the least of all, but I think it's the most important, honestly, even more so than the Lodges, is the dweller on the threshold. Mm. Uh, the only time it's in the show is episode 18, one of the most, you know, theoretically forgettable episodes, thrown away, not written by Peyton Engels, anybody. It was written by uh, Barry Pullman, who is mm. a friend of Frost, I think, that wrote for the show. So it's a very obscure scene. But in that scene, Hawk tells Cooper, 
when you're inside the Black Lodge, you meet the dweller of the thresh on the threshold. And I'm paraphrasing here, but he says something to the effect of, "This is the shadow self of the person who has entered." Mm. And if you can't, if you must face the dweller on the threshold, and if you can't face that that dweller without fear, your soul will be lost. Very. Uh, I'm paraphrasing that a lot there, but that's the general gist of what he says. Interesting. So that's exactly what happens in the final episode, mm, yeah. which, incidentally, was not supposed to happen that way. Lynch came in and made that, changed everything to make Cooper's doppelganger kind of follow him and stare him down and chase him, and, and Cooper get frightened and run away, uh, which is literally him facing the dweller on the threshold and... and yeah you know, losing his shit. So, yeah. so, so it's fascinating because I think we are, we have a sense that Lynch wasn't that taken with a lot of the stuff in the second season and he didn't really want to follow it. And yet there you have something that's totally his contribution, which fulfills something that was written in an almost throwaway scene uh, 10 episodes earlier. It's, it fulfills it perfectly. And, and if you look at all of Lynch's films, especially his later ones, uh, that idea of the dweller on the threshold is all over those films. Mm. Uh, Inland yeah. Empire, it's huge, um, the, that idea. So it's whether or not he would ever use that phrase, probably likely he, w- he wouldn't. I don't think he was very into theosophy, Lynch. Mm. Um, but his, it, it's a concept that really fits what he's doing. And it's important to stress this. The dweller on the threshold, it's not necessarily like a, a an evil figure that's outside of you like a, a mm-hmm. you know it's not what we think of as, as Bob being this this spirit who comes in from another place and is haunting you and you're a helpless victim it comes from within you mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. your dark side it's your shadow self mm. and that's really key to consider when Cooper goes into the Black Lodge because that's what ultimately undoes him. Whether or not Bob does something there, we've all kind of speculated on what Bob might be doing mm. or, or whatever. The the key moment, I think, comes a little after when Cooper is standing in there. Uh, he's just spoken to Leland, which may be significant, and his shadow self emerges from the curtains and stares at him. It doesn't run at him. He turns and walks away from it, mm. and it follows him, and then he yeah. starts running, and then it starts running. It's it's important to remember, he's the one who, who basically initiates all of that. He's the one who runs. He's, so I, I, I think in a way, it's not chasing him, and it's not, oh, Cooper should have gotten out sooner. No, probably what he should have done is stayed there and somehow faced his mm. dark side and integrated it yeah. um, and accepted that that's a part of him. Right. Yeah, and yeah. because he couldn't do that... That's why the evil emerges in the world. So that's why I always say, even though it's a throwaway line in a in a throwaway scene of a throwaway episode, that's almost like the key uh, concept of the whole series in a way. What was so? Um, do you want to start off with the question that you had before? Uh, I got a few questions now. I, just, oh. like, I have a few things now I want to say because there's so much. I just need. Oh, man, I just give me well, two. Well, while you're looking out, Ben, oh, I found what I looked. You got it. Okay. Yeah, I got it. All right. Um. Gosh. So I want to. I want to talk more about the dweller on the f- threshold. I guess. Or okay. Threshold. Well, first of all, it's interesting that in the actual original script, there is talk of a shadow self of him, and mm. and he realizes. So there is. What did he say? He's he's in the black lodge, which is a different black lodge in some way. It has to focus a little bit on the kind of 
the Great Northern a little bit. But in the hallway, I think he runs into another version of himself dressed ad- identically and um, in every detail. So it's interesting. There is that concept. And then the thing I'm really interested in is about this guardian. There's this guy who's in a hood. Mm-hmm. Or, and yeah. he, he, we, we first see this hooded character at the campsite site with Major Briggs and Cooper. And then later on, episodes further down, Major Briggs talks about this vision he had. And we see this hooded figure and the map kind of combine and stuff. But and then the, this this hooded figure shows up in the script and the, that was you know where he he, he yeah he, he he meets up with Cooper and I always thought that was this dweller on the threshold was this 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 hooded character. Any thoughts about that, Joel? Well, I guess uh, do you mean if that's what they were hoping when they originally intended? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Or are they two? Se- are they I think separate? It's it's interesting because I've heard people say Bob is the dweller on the threshold too. Hmm. You know, and oh, okay, that's who he's facing. My, I think what Lynch does is so much more interesting, and in oh, a yeah. weird way, it's much more true to what was written in episode eighteen because Hawk specifically says the dweller is the is the shadow self. Right. Um, now there's other interesting things that kind of correspond to that as well. And I showed in the not in the mythology video, but in the. Um, a couple of videos later when I just focus on Black Lodge in episode 29, the shot of Laura climbing over the couch and screaming, coming at Cooper, mm. actually is, it resembles um, the earliest mention of the dweller. They call it the dweller of the threshold. Mm. And that was in a book called Zanoni by um, Edward Bulwer-Lytton, which was written before Theosophy. It's pre-Theosophy. Madame Blavatsky was fascinated with it, and she wrote about the dweller of the threshold, um, and that's how it kind of came into theosophy, but it started with his book. And that's sort of a spiritual parable. I think he was a Rosicrucian. Um, so the the character in the book goes into sort of this, I think it's like a cave and, and mm. uh, overcomes these spiritual hurdles. And the, the dweller of the threshold is described as like a female spirit whose eyes will pierce the, you know, which is a lot like, you know, Laura in Laura. that scene where yeah. she's, climbing over and so with the or the her doppelganger hmm. with the white eyes screaming at him so it, there's multiple ways it plays out but i think the key element of it is the notion that the dweller is is it's is the shadow self of the of the seeker and you know in that scene cooper is going into the lodge to save annie but he's also he's also there to kind of confront his his own soul and mm. and face that spiritual challenge and to our shock as an audience, he can't. He doesn't pull it off. He's mm. he's not able to defeat the shadow self. Yeah, and you know what's? Um, inter- I think of two things real quick. One of them, I think of Empire Strikes Back. I think of yes. Luke yeah. going into yeah. the cave to take <laughs> on Darth Vader. Yeah, and he he kills Darth Vader to find out that underneath the mask is it's himself. Him. Yeah, and yep. then I how can how can we get into this? You recently did an old '60s TV show, The Prisoner. I, can I say anything about ah, that? Ah, yeah. Well, <laughs> um, there's there's a couple things. There's an episode called The Schizoid Man, which is uh, plays a little bit with uh, Dostoevsky kind of idea of the devil, and there's something else which I think we shouldn't talk about. Okay. <laughs> That's, I mean, I mean they, yeah, they play on these things. That you you got to see the show, we'll I leave guess. It at that. I know. I, like, I want to talk about it. Like, I don't want to spoil right. it for the listeners. It's one of those things where, where I almost want to say, when, when, how long do we have to make it a spoiler? It's been uh, 60, 50 <laughs> years. I know, but I, I didn't see 60. it until a few months ago. That's so true. All right. Well, go watch Prisoner. It's only 18 episodes or so, 17 episodes. But, uh, 
it, it plays in with what we're talking about. Maybe I mean, we can do a whole standalone episode. On I think that would be awesome. I think that, I think I think Mark Frost said he and did actually, watch it when he was a kid. We can relate it to Twin Peaks pretty well in a lot of ways. Definitely. I'll I'll, I'll guest on that. All right. We'll make cool. that happen. One of these days, if we get through all yeah. the films and everything else, yeah. we should do it. I don't think we'll have time before the, the new series. But we, yeah. sometimes. Now, what was the question that you so, had before? So I'm going to throw a couple of things out. Oh, I'll come back to that. Yeah, I'll throw a I couple of things out what. related to the Black Lodge, White Lodge. Maybe I'll start here. There's one theory. There's a theory that the Red Room is both the Black Lodge and the White Lodge. And the, but it could either look at it that way, or are there two lodges? I mean, is the White Lodge some uh, forest area that's that Major Briggs was in, like jungle or whatever it was? Mm. And and the Red Room is the Black is the Black Lodge. Right. Uh, it's, it's, and I remember your question. You also asked about. Um, we know Bob is the Black Lodge. Where do the are the other creatures Black Lodge or are they White Lodge? Yeah. Or, okay. or uh, the Red Room is the waiting room. Maybe it's attached to yes. both. Yeah, and that's a theory too, yeah, right? That, yeah. That, that, yes, yeah. That's I like that theory. It. There's almost three theories. It's mm. like the red room is the black lodge, the red room is the waiting room, or the red room is can be both. Yeah. I lean towards that third option. I think because here's the thing about the the lodges. Um, I think you enter a neutral space, and what is it? we're going to quote Yoda a third time now? <laughs> uh, he says. Luke says, what do I take in there? And, and Yoda says, only only what you yourself bring in yeah. you know, huh. his own convoluted syntax. Yeah. I, I can't remember the exact quote, but only what you bring yourself. So that's exactly true, I think, of the lodges. I think if you go in there hmm. and you have the right, if Major Briggs goes in and he has the right mindset, he sees the White Lodge. Hmm. And if Cooper goes in and he doesn't have the right mindset, he sees the Black Lodge. In other words, they say, what is the quote they say? Fear and love open the doors. Right. Yeah. I think that's literally true. I think if you enter that space with fear, yeah. you open the door to the Black Lodge. And if hmm. you enter that space with love, you open the door to the White Lodge. Annihilate and for whatever soul. reason, yeah. Cooper's fear is stronger than his love, yeah. and he ends up in the Black Lodge. So I think... I like that. There could be, you know, a theoretical alternate version of that out there where he sits down for coffee with the little man and he <laughs> yeah. ends up in the White Lodge. Right. In the... uh, but he doesn't. He definitely right. ends up in, I, I think, the Black Lodge. Some people would say he's in the waiting room that entire time. Yeah. I don't quite buy that for a few reasons. One is that Sarah says, Sarah Palmer says, I'm in the Black, I'm mm. in the black Lodge with Dale Cooper. Cooper. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, with Dale Cooper, yeah. So I, I think he is in the Black Lodge at that point, right. to the extent that has any meaning. Yeah. And that's the other point I would make, is it's important to remember, um, and this will be, is this is easier to discuss when we've seen the film, mm. but the Lodge terminology, even in-world, it's something that human characters have come up with to explain what they experience out in the woods. Mm. I don't think if we were to, like, sit down at a at a meeting with, you know, Bob and and the little man and the giant and all these other people that they would say, you know, hey, we're in the lodge right now, blah blah blah. That's the human word for it. Or yeah. I guess according to the show, it's like a tribal legend that sprung up and then was sort of inherited by the settlers in the area. And mm. and probably something we'll find out more about in um the Mark Frost's book. book yeah. yeah. But definitely. the important thing is I don't think the lodge terminology came to the humans, I think they imposed it on an experience that they have in this spiritual space. So yeah. in that sense, I don't know if we can really say 
that any of the figures come from the black or the white lodge. I think they're all just there and how the human characters experience them determines whether they see them in the black lodge or the white lodge. That's my impression. That's put it this way. That's the one that resonates with me. There's different interpretations and some of them, I think sometimes they get a little too, uh, for me, they get a little too sci-fi fantasy where it's, it Mm. almost exists independent of any sort of, psychological resonance or meaning right it's like well there's a battle between these guys and these guys mm. and they're doing this and that and the humans are caught and it's like okay well, that's fine but yeah. it doesn't it doesn't move me in any way yeah, when yeah, i think about yeah. it in terms of cooper's struggle for his soul yeah and what it means to him and 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 what it, what greater religious or sort of psychological resonance has that that moves me that has an emotional effect Totally. Um, and so I sort of like to see it through that lens. You know? Yeah. I mean, for me, so when, at least when I was younger, I used to think of like, okay, the giant, he, he lives in the White Lodge and he's the good guy and he's trying to help Cooper. And then yeah. we have Bob who's in the Black Lodge. And that's, I kind of yeah. looked at that, but I can totally see your point in, in that whole idea of the third theory, that whole Chevron rug, the fact that we have yes. like the white and the black, they're, they're right next to each other. They're, you know, yes. you have the yeah. white and the, so maybe you have the white and the black lodge yep. merged together that they're both taking up that space. I do. It makes definitely, sense. Definitely. Definitely. And, um, exactly. to go back to the point that Cooper, if, if, if it say, I do really, you know, I like that theory about it being one place, but depending on how you enter it, mm. that's what lodge you're going to see. And exactly. it would, it would, it would explain a lot for Cooper because he's in fear of losing Annie. Yeah, so fear exactly. isn't lead to anger, and it's so close to love. Right. Because he, when you love someone, you yeah. have that fear you could lose them. So he he is going in there fearful right. for her life and right. and what yeah. could happen to him. He's doubting himself, and, think, and, and and real quick, he's doubting himself. And we kind of saw that you know yeah. at the campsite where he's talking to Major Briggs, and and he's been talking about like, oh, he failed Carolyn, and what if I fail fail again yes. with with Annie? Yeah. And I feel like he goes in doubting himself, but. Yeah. What do you yeah. think, Joel? Yeah, I was going to say I think it's and and it's important to remember with all the characters they're they're human so they have both fear and love. Mm. And the question is which which is stronger, which which force is ultimately more powerful. And it sort of makes me think of um what little I know of like, you know, the Bardo state and the Tibetan Book of the Dead and everything like that where the idea is you sort of orient yourself in a certain direction and that determines where you go after after death, you know, you head into the light or you return uh, for another life in the cycle or something. Um, and it's the same thing with that. So yes, he, he, he goes in and, and he has fear and he has love within him like anybody, mm. but for whatever reason, and we can sort of pick into that, um, the fear ends up being stronger in him. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and I think also the final episode, it's Lynch doesn't do these things on some sort of conscious intellectual level, but it, it's very much a meta commentary on the show as well. And I think the extent to which he identified with Cooper and he identified the show with Cooper and the mm. audience with Cooper, and it's kind of a judgment on the show and how it failed because you have Cooper go into this place and he's confronted with all of these, they're almost like repressed memories, which they really are for the show because they never talked about Maddie. They never talked about yeah. Laura and Leland mm. after they left. They kind of repressed all of the subject matter, which was really the meat of the series. Mm. And they just pushed it down and said, we're going to try and talk about something else. And now it all comes bubbling back up and it's confronting Cooper. And mm. you've got the doppelganger of Laura screaming <laughs> in his face, which is about, 
it's about as explicit a representation as you can get of the first half of the show yeah. kind of rising back up and claiming, you know, mm. claiming the show again and saying, how dare you try and forget about what this show began as. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's really, it's really this strong commentary of anger, I think in a way. And, and Lynch, you know, people have said he, he's not, you know, I think Bob Engel said, no, people think, you know, Lynch was taking revenge. That's, he wouldn't do that. And, and I, I believe that he's not sitting there like, well, how can I take the piss out of ABC in the audience and everything? <laughs> like, that's not how he's thinking. Yeah. But it's clear from his statements he was angry and he was upset and he was very disappointed hmm. with with what happened to the show and what happened to his original vision. And I think if you watch as they were originally aired, episodes 28 and 29 back-to-back, Mm-hmm. I don't know if you what you thought of the Miss Twin Peaks episode. Personally, I I really don't like it. I think it's maybe the worst episode of the show. <laughs> and I used to be kind of okay with it. Like, I think the first few times it was like, oh, it's advancing the plot. Well, once you get the plot and you know where it's going, there's so very little there, and it's very tired. There's something about it that just seems very forced to me. Like, everyone's going through the motions. And in fact... Um, the director, Tim Hunter, said he showed up on set and he, he, the last episode he had directed was Leela's death. And he mm. was so excited to be back. And he was crushed because everyone was miserable and bitter. And he said Kyle McLaughlin was very cynical and mm. making comments all the time. Oh, now they want me to do this and have this stupid room. You know, and, and, and he was kind of, he was like dismayed, like, wow, everybody's totally lost their faith in the show. Yeah. So there really was a vibe, and it comes through for me in that episode. It's it's very mechanical, mm. moving from point A to point B. And when you pair that with Lynch's final episode, whew, it's like night and day. It's, it's, yeah. it's like as if you, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> trying to think of a good analogy <laughs> here. It's It's like as if you, you know, smoked a cigarette and then took a hit of acid. Yeah, <laughs> like right. You're going from one sort of mild whatever to just almost like a hallucinatory trip yeah. in Lynch's hands. And, um, and I think you can, when you contrast those two episodes, you can feel the kind of the anger and the, the forcefulness in that second episode. It's, it feels like a rebuke and it's very refreshing in that way. Because I think a lot of the audience has been feeling frustrated, and it's it's validating to if if you felt that way to see it mm. and see the show kind of rear up again and say, uh, "This is what we were about. This is where we went wrong," and in a way, this is our punishment for it. This is Cooper's punishment. This is the audience's punishment. Mm. This is the creator's punishment that we end on this shot of of our hero staring in the mirror. And laughing and, and almost mocking everything, you know, the audience and the show and him. And it's just, it's like beautiful and horrifying at the same time, you know, yeah. which is so much of Lynch. You can describe totally. pretty much everything he's done <laughs> that way. What about the two? Okay, the ending shot. Well, I have a good question. Sure. Or maybe it means nothing. Maybe I'm overthinking it. But, you know, he's like, you know, how's Andy? And he's mocking the Andy, how's Andy thing. Mm-hmm. And he squeezes the toothpaste like almost in a circle. I watch him like, is he put it in a circle and thinking of the circle that Bob comes out of? 
And mm, then I'm thinking, yeah. I'm like, what is toothpaste made out of? Baking soda. What was it circle made out of? That was... Um, oh, you're talking about the sycamore trees, are you talking about? Or, yeah, or the, the, talking... White, the white... Cir- so I think they were actually candles from the European uh, yeah. uh, ending and stuff. Oh, yeah. They were actually candles. But they, it is circular, and you make, it makes you think of uh, demonic... Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. The ideas, and yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, well, ev- Evil Cooper is squeezing toothpaste from the middle. That's very evil. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, yeah, like, I'm like, this is. I'm, well, I'm circles like, I'm, seem I'm to play a big part of, of yeah. the show. There's definitely this whole idea of the circle. I mean, yeah, I'm like, I'm like overthinking toothpaste thing. But, um, but it, it was a cool shot. And, I, and that shot, now I know why everybody was like, Brian, like, Brian, when you watch this, you'll know why, you know, yeah. we're so excited for the comeback. It's because you yeah. left your hero. On a ledge, yeah, and you're like, yeah. "What the frick is gonna happen right. now?" Yeah, Brian, when he sees the end, he was like, "That's how it ends." It's <laughs> 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 yeah. devastating. Devastating. That. And it's you said you kind of saw some some image, right? Yeah. Beforehand, so of Bob in the mirror or something. Yeah. So let me. I've, I'll tell you guys how I going, like, yeah. I thought originally how season two after um, uh, Maddie died. Yeah, it wrapped up the. It wrapped up, and they went. They were in the woods, and Cooper starts to sound like sad or self-doubting or self-loathing a little bit, and kind of like, and then he gets kicked out. I'm like, oh, he's getting hit. He's getting hit hard. He's losing his job. He's not in a suit. And I thought I've seen that uh, picture. It was on uh, someone's book. Um, yeah, Andreas. Andreas's book. Right. Yeah. The, I, the mirror. Right. Cooper's yeah. little bit of a spoiler there. <laughs> I thought, to be honest with you, I thought yeah. that scene was gonna happen in the like sooner mm. in that season, and I mm-hmm. thought that we were gonna watch the fall of Cooper. Mm. Because it seemed like to go in that direction. And the yeah. following episodes, it was like, Cooper, you are being investigated. You're gonna yeah. you're being demoted. You're mm. and you're not gonna wear your suit, you're wearing plaid, and like bad things were happening to him. And I thought that's how he would be um possessed or whatever, like Leland was at the time we thought I thought possession. Yeah. Um, but I thought this would allow the evil to be in because he would be upset. And mm. the upset would lead to anger and revenge, and we would see the fall of Cooper. But yeah. then that didn't really happen. It didn't play out that way, did and, it? And that was the last scene. And when I saw that, I was like, wow, that's the scene I know is going to happen. I've been waiting <laughs> for it. And it's the last scene. Right. It's like, holy cow. And, and to give you history, like, you know, we waited eight weeks to get to that two-hour yeah. finale of, uh, it was a Monday night two-hour finale of Twin Peaks. And you're, you know, so we waited all this time to finally get to the last episode. And then you see it, and it's like, oh, my gosh. This is the end of Twin Peaks. And it's like, it's like, I, my heart sunk, and it's like, oh. It's yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> it's like, this is it. Like, what a downer. What a I way to, for your hero yeah. to end and stuff. Oh. Breaks your heart. It gives you so much, but then it takes, you know, it um, yeah. lets you down. Like, not lets you down, but it just, yeah, it, like, plays with your emotions. You're like, this is so great. Oh, no, this is how it ends. You're <laughs> like, but there's not going to be another one next right. week. Yeah. yeah. That's, it's funny. I heard someone else say that exact thing. Like, they had seen the image. They knew it was coming, but they did not 
for a second think that would be the last image yeah. of the show. And they were so shocked that that's how it ended. And it's such an iconic image now. I yeah. see why. I see it so much. And it's interesting that it's the final image of the show, and it's so yeah. iconic because there's so much mystery. Like, you know, your hero has fallen, and now what? And right. it, it does really, like, wow, season three is going to be awesome, and um, yeah. what are they going to do? But, yeah, that it, it was crazy because I'm waiting for that to happen the whole time, right. and I had to deal with – you know the 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 little kid might be Satan and all this weird stuff. <laughs> yeah, you keep waiting for something to add up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. yeah. I remember thinking that. I kept, I thought John Justice Wheeler for sure there was a twist coming. Like uh, he was sent in by somebody to trick Audrey and kidnap her. He was an agent of Windermere. Mm. I was like, there's no way he's just an ordinary love interest. Because <laughs> I, I like expected more of Twin Peaks than that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel like the first season. It- did a much better job of having all these different stories, but somehow connecting them together. Like they, you felt like yes. every scene yes. you were watching somehow could yes, connect so to yeah. Laura Palmer's murder. And I, I just kind of fell apart in the second season. Like they just kind of had different stories and they didn't connect at all. And so that made me think of something. So I have a question for you guys and I know I haven't seen Firewalk with me. So I guess you can dance around that, but that's what I want to say about how uh, the doppelganger stuff. Mm-hmm. So Laura was in the Black Lodge. We've seen normal Laura, and we've seen her doppelganger in that lodge. So from reading the book, because I read the, the diary. Right, that's yeah. right. You read the diary. That, so if Leland had this in him, I feel like Laura, she had a, she was a wild child. Mm-hmm. But is she could be, was she a product of the way... Her, she was having daddy, basically daddy issues, and the book kind of. I mean, if you read between the lines, we we yeah. got out of it that Leland could have been doing horrible things to her. Oh yeah, and she was blacking out or maybe a, a, a repressing those feelings. So mm-hmm. since we saw her doppelganger in there, that means she. I mean, she had that fire walk with me. She has the evil side to her. She had the evil side yeah. too. And we led to believe but maybe everybody does, right? Yes. I mean, everybody Well, yeah, it would be g- funny. I was just thinking, what if we saw every, what if it was like a loose, an evil Lucy? Like, what would she, what would she be like? <laughs> that would be quite a sight to see. Well, I mean, I feel like we did see like a <laughs> manipulative good, side of Leo. Yeah. yeah, like, uh, Lucy, there was a, she was very manipulative where she actually had two guys yes. pining over her. True, she was scheming. Yeah. She was scheming. Yeah. <laughs> and she didn't even care who the baby belonged to. It was like, fight for yeah. my love. Fight, you know, show me who's a better man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting because so the Palmer family, and that's mm. why a part of me is like, you know, David Lynch seemed to bring back everybody for that final episode. Yeah. It was so yeah. cool. And it was, a lot of it wasn't in the script. They brought characters yep. that were not... Yeah, there. so it makes me feel, was it fan service to see Sarah Palmer come in and have Wyndham Merle's voice saying, we're in the Black Lodge? Because it doesn't pay off. I mean, she shows up, tells Major Briggs, and that's the last time we ever see them. But was that sort of just David Lynch giving us the last look at these characters. The funny thing is, I yeah. don't even know if, yeah, I would say that, I don't even know if he always did fan service. I feel like Lynch gets people that he likes and, and I feel like... Finds he, a place for them. Finds yeah. a place for Getting them. Getting that yeah. magic going. Yeah. 
And I think uh, Joel, you probably would agree that I think I think Lynch had a, a really cared about these Palmer family, and I feel like he kept yes. on wanting to somehow bring them back. Yeah, which I kind of they should have done through the whole. I don't know why they would even get rid of Sarah. It was like, oh, I'm grieving, and I've lost both my my <laughs> husband and my yeah. my daughter. So now I'm out of the show. I mean, yeah. like they should have had a part for her the whole time. But, but it, it, well, do you know what her last line was supposed to be on the show? Because no. she wasn't in the script for the finale. So what was her, what was it? Her last line is in the funeral episode. She says, I need to remember all of this. <laughs> and then they cut to the brother and the two brothers fighting and you never see her again. Wow. Like wow. how ironic is that? That's so ironic. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, seeing Sarah Palmer, was it was cool to see her. And I kind of feel like that leads, it gives it more of the mystery that the Palmer mm. family is some sort of connection. They have a very strong connection because... For Wyndham Earl to speak through her mm-hmm. is very yeah. interesting. And Leland was there. So that does that mean like did, did Wyndham Earl use the Black Lodge to 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 tell Major Briggs, hey, I got in. Right. Like, was it taunting Major Briggs? Like, I got in. Ha, yeah. ha, ha. It's funny. It, wasn't really, it was only recently that I, I I always thought it was Bob that said, I'm in the Black Lodge. Mm, yeah. I always thought that, but I don't know if, it, if, if we see. On the, uh, yeah, on the so um, here, I think these are the, the reasonable options it. for who it could be. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it could be somebody like the Giant, but I'm not going to throw that in there, even mm. though I just kind of did. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you, like you said, it could be Bob like a challenge to Briggs. It could be Wyndham Earl as a challenge to Briggs. It could be Laura, which is the most interesting one to mm. me because she has a connection to her mom and maybe she's reaching out mm. to the real world trying yeah, to help Cooper. Hey, you know, I'm going to use my mom as a vessel and speak of, that's cool. It could be Leland, I guess, mm. or his doppelganger or something. Uh, the other one besides Laura and Wyndham that I think of the most is the man from another place. Mm. But I don't know why he would do that. And somebody else pointed out too, he doesn't like I said. None of the creatures refer to it as the watch. So why would he say I'm in yeah, the watch? Yeah, yeah. So I don't. I've, I've moved away from that. I think it's. I, I think it's supposed to be one. I think a subtitle or something says right. Wyndham Earl, yes, but they yeah, never yeah. actually. And and the voice speaking within the curtain sounds like the later the voice we hear from Wyndham Earl later. Mm. Um, but I wonder I, if it's if I can, you know, keep it open enough. I'd like to think it's Laura. That's more interesting. That would be, yeah. and it makes That'd more be, sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because if it's Wyndham, okay, he's making a challenge to Major Briggs, but even assuming it had come back for a season three when Don Davis was alive, mm. Wyndham's gone, so it yeah. doesn't pay off in that sense. So, yeah, I like I like the idea of it being Laura kind of trying to get help for Cooper. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Cool. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> and so only recently did I think, okay, it could be Wyndham Earl, and then I was like, oh, is Wyndham Earl – the one that's messing around with Cooper the whole time? Like, is he the reason that, like, oh, we see Annie on the floor or, or it's Caroline yeah. and, like, all of this stuff? And I was like, people oh. think so. A lot of yeah. people think I so. I never thought of it, but only recently I started thinking, oh, it could be, yeah. it could be that uh, Wyndham did get some of the keys to the Black Lodge and has a little mm. more control now. Yeah. And then it got carried away. And then that's when Bob, Bob has to step in yeah. and say, hey. And you see his stop. face flash. Yes. Sorry, maybe you were just about to say that. Yes. But you see his with face Laura. flash when Laura runs at Cooper. Right. Yeah. For a second, you see yeah. Wyndham's face. Right. I, 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 that's why I, I come to believe too that uh, when Merle yeah. was power hungry and he finally got in and he was manipulating things right. to really torture Cooper, 
and Bob wasn't going to have it because yeah. it's not yeah. his place. The interesting you know? thing too yeah. is in the in the script, the uh, you know the unseen script, you had all these other figures. Like you had a nun who would wave in Annie and say, "Come on in," and then the nun would turn into Wyndham Earl. And so you'd have like these different times where they'd be other characters, and all of a sudden you realize, "Oh, it was Wyndham Earl the pretending to be those characters." So I do wonder if Lynch was playing with that and kind of mm. used that, or I don't mm. know. But see, yeah, that's, it's funny how yeah. he takes ideas that were in the script, but he spins them in such a different direction they're yeah. almost unrecognizable. Yeah, and maybe we shouldn't even be looking at the script because it's not. It's a different vision. It's, not it's canon, so much yeah. fun to do though, to, <laughs> to see how he changed it. Yeah. And it uh, like all those guys, I think you know, I, they get a lot of crap sometimes, and including Mark Frost. Sometimes people go, "Oh, you know, it's it, when Lynch wasn't there, it was blah blah blah." I think they were really good at certain things, and that the stuff that's really good from Lynch, we wouldn't get without. There. Even if you're just looking at the Lynch stuff, it's mm. like, yeah, Lynch does his own thing, but he always builds on what was there. So right. yeah, yeah. If the funny ironic thing is if he had his way and we didn't get find out who killed Laura until the last episode or maybe never. Never. Um you don't get the best parts of Twin Peaks. Mm. Maybe you get the reveal episode as a finale. It would have unfolded differently because it would have been made under different conditions. Yeah. You don't get the finale with Coop in the Lodge. It's true. Um you probably don't get the film so you lose all of, in my mind, the best parts of Twin Peaks by doing what the show should have done, theoretically. Right. Because I yeah. would agree with his general point that the show thrives on having that mystery. Yeah. So you yeah. have a weird paradox where <laughs> the thing that kills the show is also what makes it great, yeah. which is revealing the mystery. Yeah. That's something. And, um, okay, I guess I'll, I, I want to talk about the, one, the final episode, that one scene. I know it's kind of... It's kind of spoiled with the new cast list, which I haven't looked at. Okay. Yeah. With Audrey being blown yeah. up in the bank. Like, that's yeah. the one scene, like, you know. Oh, yeah. What, really you, what was your about, reaction but, to that? I wanted to ask you about that. It was, it was, it was funny. It was a cool scene. I liked watching the old man shuffle. <laughs> it was cool. I, I mean, because that just says yeah. David Lynch would just put this old man shuffling oh, to yeah. get water. It's the last episode, and we're waiting for this guy to get some water. <laughs> It, it's like that is like, like one of my top five scenes. Of I love all it. Twin Peaks. Yeah. I love it. It's like it, the milk scene. If all I was over to pop right? on one scene to watch in isolation, it would be like uh, Black Lodge, right. like one or two other scenes, and that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it was cool, but I was so like, okay, Audrey can't be dead, right? And now the bomb. There was a bomb in the in the box that was. They finally got the black box open. It led to this yeah. box, and they opened it, blew up. And Audrey was tape was not tape. Well, she was chained to the door, right? Handcuffed uh, or something. But yeah. outside, she wasn't inside the vault. She was outside the vault, right. so she could have lived. Yeah, and Sharon Fenn would say that I that they had plans to bring her back for the third season. Yeah. So she she would say that like it would be like it would be like that um the old uh, old uh, serial shows where like how are they gonna get out of this? Yeah. And then in the next the next uh, episode they lived or something like that. And they kind of already done that with the first season. Like how many people looked like they were gonna die? Yeah. yeah and they yeah. all came back pretty much. And, yeah. yeah. Oh, somebody said I can't remember who. But they joked, maybe she'll come back as the character from Boxing Helena. <laughs> I'm sure if you've seen that, no, I have she's not got legs that. and arms amputated. Oh. Right. <laughs> it's like, so she blew up in the thing, and now oh. she's you know, stuck in one place. <laughs> but, yeah. And that reminds me of <laughs> the, statue, the statue from the Black Lodge, too, there. The, um, That's right. Yeah, yeah. the Venus. Yes. Which is interesting, because Jennifer Lynch said 
one of the reasons she did boxing, Helena, was because they had a statue like that in her house. Huh. And she thought it was so wonderful that this this creature who was sort of deformed was seen as beautiful. Yeah. And she had club feet, I think, huh. as a kid. So she had sort of a physical deformity, and, and that was kind of nice for her to see someone who was, you know, that the statue is without arms, and yet people look at it as this thing of beauty. So huh, I didn't know that's that. interesting that yeah. it's in the episode as well that her right. father directed. In to put that scene to blow up three characters and then never revisit that, right? And that's got. I'm sure when, Ben, when you saw that for the first time, no, not Audrey. Dre, you were probably like, oh, "What?" Yeah, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah it was, very, yeah, very shocking. I remember being. I do remember this because. The, the finale was the only piece of Twin Peaks, other than the film, I did review the film right away, the only piece of Twin Peaks I wrote about immediately after seeing, because I had just started my blog a few weeks earlier, um, and uh, I hadn't been writing about the show, which I kind of regret, you know. Um, but I did, once I got to the final episode, I sat down, I wrote a post that was like, you know, two or three paragraphs, very short, hmm. uh, called the gum, this gum you, the gum you Like is Coming Back in Style. Little did I know, you know, <laughs> that little post, you know, years later, I've now written God knows how many Twin Peaks things. But that was the first one. And I said, the one thing I said about it was, you know, I just watched the finale and I wonder if they knew the show was going to end because parts of it feel like they did, mm. but parts of it feel like they're closing things off. Yeah. Well. So it was very hard to tell. And even now... We know um, it was shot during the hiatus mm. between, uh, you know, because when the hiatus ended, the CNN did a special, which I think I guess sent you the link for that, right, Ben? I think so, yeah. Beer and loafing or something. Yes, yeah, thank I, you. We used that for when, like when, that. We had the coop, when we had the coop episode, yeah. we used that and stuff. Yeah, and so basically... Um, they visit them on the set of the episode that you just watched. Mm. Um, so that was shot during the hiatus. So they really, it was totally up in the air. Yeah. Um, I they like had, February. I think they had a good sense that even if they got to air those final episodes, they mm. probably weren't getting a season three because their ratings were awful at that point. Yeah. Like people, you know, um, numbers wise, they weren't bad for today. They were like, what, 8 million or 9 million yeah. now is like, right. oh, that's, I don't know if that's good for network TV now, but it's certainly good for cable now. Yeah, True yeah. Detective never peaked above, I think, 3 million. Yeah. But at the same time, it was like 90th in the rankings for that time. Mm, right. You've got the rankings there. You guys know. So. Yeah, yeah. It was but just yeah, it was, yeah. It, so, so, yeah, it just was like uh, shot in this kind of limbo of like, we're probably not coming back, but yet at the same time, we have to pretend we are to mm. keep the momentum going and hope that maybe they'll give us a renewal. Totally. Yeah. And uh, it, 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 I think Harley Payton said on, on your interview, he's like, you know, I was pissed that David changed everything. Yeah. And then I saw it and was like, well, never mind. That's brilliant. <laughs> How can I complain? <laughs> right. Totally. What I liked about Lynch, what he did when he brought, came into this episode, is that he kind of went full circle. We had uh, Heidi, the waitress. Mm, she yeah, was, in the, pilot, she yeah. was in the pilot, and then she comes back. To, we hadn't seen it in the the, the, the double R. Spoiler! Diner. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Brian my only spoiler. Okay. Um, although I think he knows a little bit already about the film. We'll talk about that in, in yeah. a little bit. But I'm gonna give you my one spoiler for Firewalk with Me. Okay. Heidi the waitress is in it. 
Dun, dun, dun. Oh, my God. <laughs> so now you know. The one Literally, character you barely ever see. Tons of characters are not in the film. She is. That's funny. <laughs> wow. And I guarantee you, I don't remember her, her names on the list of the new series. I think it is. Yeah. But even if it's not, I guarantee you we'll see it. Like, that's just such a Lynchian thing to do. Yeah. To take that character who we haven't seen since the pilot throw her in. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Isn't that great? I love it. Yeah, and every I mean that last episode everybody came back, which was so cool to see like literally everybody. A lot of characters yeah. came back. And yeah. the only people who had a happy ending was Andy mm. and Lucy. Yeah. There's the only two people everybody else's lives no oh, oh, Bobby no oh, no yeah. Bobby, Bobby and Shelly. Bobby and Shelly. Yeah. That's it. But yeah. I feel like the their lives have been in turmoil the entire show. So they yeah. deserve that happy ending. Where, where Cooper's had a pretty good life. He's solving a crime, but mm, it's not yeah. anything with him. But yeah, you had those f- four characters have uh, a wrapped up a little bit for every, and everybody else was just kind of like, are they dead? Right. Are they evil? Yeah. You yeah. know? Do we want to go anywhere with Fighting Rock with me without spoiling anything? Do we want to? Yeah, you... I think we'll, we'll tiptoe around it. That should be fun. Because I think we were talking, you and I were talking about like, can we kind of can we do a preview or kind of get Brian prepared for the for? I'm excited yeah. to watch it. I mean, that's I'll next say this. To my so I, you, I've been listening to some episodes, and you've definitely been spoiled more than you were. But that's me listening to it, knowing, yeah, and picking up those things. So you may have actually missed some of what people said because they did throw things at you that were. I was like, oh, whoa, that's a that's a giveaway. So what do you know? Nothing. I know David Bowie's in it. Yeah. Um, I actually thought David Bowie was going to appear in season two because I've seen photos of him right, and I yeah. knew he was part of it. And then when, when Bowie passed away, Ben's like, he, he's in the movie. Like, he didn't want to tell me. Yeah, but I didn't mm-hmm. want you waiting for it saying, where is, is David Bowie? I know. <laughs> I was really excited for David Bowie to show up. So because I had no clue the movie was part of the show until I got the Blu-ray and then and then I because the the photos I see online they they can be from any the yeah. photos I've seen right. sometimes okay. they can yeah. fit in any they can fit in any uh, they can be deleted scenes who knows yeah right? who yeah. knows I I don't right, know exactly I don't know where these so scenes what so go. when I last talked to you you had seen up to episode twenty three and we got your predictions for the finale in the film what do you <laughs> well, let's just start simply what are you expecting from the film after seeing the finale. Oh, well, I, okay, I do know Laura Palmer. It's more of her story. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's going to be a prequel to giving us more in-depth mm-hmm. look of her. Because I okay. know she's in it. And okay, then okay. I know Cooper's in it. So yep. does it go forward? Or because Cooper is evil then at mm-hmm. Twin Peaks, now that I know that, is a, is Firework with me? just a prequel or does it jump around but does it it doesn't go beyond this last episode that we saw yeah that's kind of what i was getting at okay so that's um that's more or i would say that's that's a fair that is a fair analysis you could quibble with that somewhat but i'll let you i'll let you see um in terms i mean in terms of the whether it goes beyond the finale Mm. um yeah like I think, yeah, it's pretty clear just yeah. from how we've been talking about yeah. it. 
you know, so this, without trying to spoil it, obviously we're basically saying, yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna get a movie where Cooper struggles and overcomes Bob, and, and season three is about something. Right. Else. Yeah, yeah. So so the it, movie it, doesn't yeah. go beyond how Cooper's well, story yeah, there's, stops there. There's, there's more theories we should go to that, yeah, but we won't. Yeah. We'll okay. let you figure that we'll out. <laughs> and that's what Char- Charlotte basically said. Uh, Fire Walk with Me is a is a prequel. Yeah, and, that's what and, I was. And actually, wondering. I don't know if you could hear it, but Brian was laughing because it was a spo- it was kind of a spoiler. He was like, oh, there's yeah, so yeah. Yeah, but you probably gleaned that by then yeah. anyway from yeah, things people said. Exactly. I, I yeah. kind of figured that out because it's like, well, if Cooper's bad, Firewalk With Me. But that's interesting because Firewalk With Me was filmed after Twin Peaks, right? Yes. Right. I have a whole thing I want to talk about that because I, of course, waited a year or so to see this. That's and- what I was going to say. As a fan, you probably were oh like, my gosh. the movie's coming out. It's going to answer my questions. Oh, may- but then it doesn't. <laughs> I'll just say it now. So, yeah, I'm waiting for this. I had, you know, newspapers and, and articles and I'm looking, waiting yeah, for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I think it was like, okay, it's going to come out in August. Huh, movies don't usually do well in August. And Mark Frost isn't really going to be that involved in this movie. What? And then, uh, uh, Kyle McLaughlin might not be in this movie. What? (laughs) And then, then, oh, it it might be a prequel. And it's like, oh no. And like, I was like (laughs) devastated. It's like, wait a minute here. I, you need Mark Frost. You need Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah. Yeah. So did you leave that movie? I won't get into disappointed. No, I won't. I won't get into that till we get to the firewall. But I will say. Going into that, I was kind of like, I'm yeah. a little worried about this film because it's missing a lot of the elements of what I think of yeah. Twin Peaks. What a movie should be after the series. Yeah, or even just yeah. even if they're just making a, an individual movie, I I knew Mark Frost was important to Twin Peaks. I thought he should be a part of it. Yeah, you can't. I can't see how you can make a film without Cooper. And uh, yeah, so there was yeah. definitely some. I was I went in there nervous, and you know I yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you so more about it. to listen to yeah. the the. Yeah, that's gonna be a long. It's Without gonna be like a month. <laughs> a yeah, month. We're, we're gonna be doing a month. I think we've a month about of that. Firewalk with yeah. me. So. so that'll be fun. I'm very so, excited yeah, to watch it. You're you're actually. This was the last thing you were waiting for before you can watch it, right? So are you yeah. after this conversation? You're you're kind of free yes. to. Yes. I gave you permission, Ooh. Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys are gonna are you guys gonna watch it together or? We're gonna watch it separately, yeah. and then Ooh, we're okay. Um, then compare notes, like kind of like we've done with the, with the TV show. Yeah. For the most yeah. Part. Yeah. Oh, so okay. I so, should, so I you're should, gonna yeah. experience. I think in a way it's a good. <laughs> in some way, I saw it alone. Totally. I mean, mm. I watched the whole series. You know, by my, I, I know people have watched it with groups. I found people, I would say, five or six years later who wanted to watch Twin Peaks. Yeah. You know, it was not the community experience mm. for me. Um, but in fact, I think the first time I ever saw a piece of, well, I actually not that true because I had a VHS tape of episode two that I bought when like a video store closed mm. and I watched that with a friend. But other than that, I never watched Twin Peaks with other people until a couple years ago. You know, yeah, so yeah. I, I, but, but that said, I think more than any other part of the series, there's something about watching Firewalk with me alone that's very effective because mm. it, it's a very, without saying too much, kind of a very, it's a movie about loneliness in some mm. ways, you know? Yeah. So even if you're watching it with someone else, you still kind of have that experience. So, so yeah, I think that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. So I, I still have to have rules for you. <laughs> you're not allowed to watch deleted scenes. Yeah, yeah. And, I won't, and, and, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Good point. Um, sorry, you go ahead. You're no, no, say Joel, you say, say, say the same thing, Joel. <laughs> yeah. G- give him the rules. Tell him no, what I, you can't not, watch. Deleted scenes always come after. 
Yes. No, I never watched any yeah. scenes first right. ever, and so. none of the extras either. So there's other yeah, there's, yeah, there's yeah. other missing okay. pieces extras that you. Can't... I won't. I won't. I, so you yeah. you have the Blu-ray. Yeah, right? yeah. I won't. Okay. So separate. I'll say this for the benefit of people at home. Obviously, this show I assume does not endorse illegal downloading of things. No. That said, if you are one of those outlaws who does that, uh, be very careful because this film it gets mixed up. There are so many versions of it out there where mm. they're like, firewalk with me, and it's actually just the deleted scenes. Or they say, firewalk with me, and it's the deleted scenes fan edited into the movie, which I am not a huge fan mm. of the wow. idea of. So there's so many. So anybody listening to this, like, yeah, I'm just going to, you know, um, this is a case where it's not only, uh, you know, the legal thing to do to get a copy. It's like the practical wise thing yeah. to do. So yeah. Please try and find you know, Netflix has a DVD, like watch the actual film because uh, it's, it's the deleted scenes are great. They're really cool, mm. but the film was made the way it was for a reason. And people yeah. go, Oh, he had to cut it. Um, and it's true. According to Andres's book, the con president was like, man, you got to cut this down. But the thing is, it found its final form in the correct way. And, mm. and Lynch could have added those scenes back in if he wanted to, and he chose not to. It's true. Because it's meant to be the way it is. Yeah. Um, the deleted scenes are great, but there's a reason they play almost like an own movie because they didn't fit into the one that he made. Yeah. So for the most part. Yeah, at some point, we'll, we'll have an episode just on the missing pieces yeah. that we'll talk about. I don't know. You and I are debating on whether we want to do every one. I think we want to probably do a, a selection of them to talk about. But, yeah, mm, yeah. Yeah. So that'd be cool. Well, so so talking about Andreas, uh, I, Andreas was on the show uh, a few weeks ago, and he mentioned uh, working on a Mark Frost book, and he wanted to work with you, or he's going to work with you. Can you give us any more detail about that? No, I mean, he mentioned it to me before that conversation, obviously, and we yeah. talked about that. And also another idea, which um, I guess I can say, because he said that idea. <laughs> another <laughs> idea, too, was possibly writing something on Firewalk with me. Um, so we have to discuss it. At some point, I've got to do an international call, I think, with him. Yeah. Um, which, you know. <laughs> it's a pain in the butt. I'll have to figure out the logistics of that. But, um, yeah, to, to sort of discuss that, those ideas, because I think, um, yeah, I mean, I was really excited when he suggested that. I mean, I love his book, and uh, he's obviously somebody who's had experience, knows how to publish. I no, no clue, no experience about how the publishing industry works or anything mm. like that. So it'll be really fun um, talking to him and figuring out what exactly he wants to do, how we could do it. Um, but I think that's a, it's a fascinating subject because – um, Mark Frost, you know, there was a more wrapped in plastic cover that was called Mark Frost, the Forgotten Man of Twin Peaks or something, or the Invisible Man of Twin yes. Peaks. It's true. He was more hands-on than Lynch by far um, throughout the show, and yet he's so little is known or, or talked about him. Mm. And it's interesting, too, because I think um, one of my favorite Twin Peaks books is by Martha Nockamson. It's called David... Uh, <laughs> is it Imagination of David Lynch? No, what was it called? No, no, no uh, The Passion of David Passion Lynch. Passion, yeah. Uh, Wild at Heart in Hollywood. And she also wrote an essay about the finale. And it's interesting because she talks about the differences between Lynch and Frost, which hardly anybody does, and that inspired my series in a huge way. Hmm. I don't know if I would have been able to even think down that avenue if she hadn't sort of blazed that trail. Um, and so the interesting thing is she's very much more interested in Lynch's 
Um, I mean, it's a David Lynch book, so she's very much more interested in his contributions. But she's very um, respectful of Frost. Like, I've read books where they're kind of like, oh, Frost came in and he ruined Lynch's vision, blah, blah, blah. They're almost kind of bitter about it. And she's like, well, you know, she thinks what Lynch is interesting. But she goes out of her way. She says, look, Mark Frost is not a hack. He's an individual with his own vision, strong sensibility, very smart man, very articulate. Um, has a lot to contribute, so so that was interesting to me, and and I think yeah he is under he's underappreciated, and I think people assume he, he was a TV writer who just kind of came in to help Lynch along, but really he had a very very strong vision oh, of yeah. what he wanted Twin Peaks to be, and what he was interested in doing, and a lot of what we love about the show like a ton is uh, is his doing. I, I think my favorite. My favorite episodes are Lynch episodes, but my favorite stretch of the show, like my favorite grouping, is the end of season one, like episodes four through seven. Hmm. And that's that's like Mark Frost. Like he directed an episode. He wrote two of them. He was super closely supervising the other writers for all of them. And it has this just magical flow that's very TV. It's hmm. very like it's, – it's the moment where you watch Twin Peaks and you're like – this actually could be a good week-to-week show that lasted, um, you know, holding your episode, you're holding your attention from episode to episode. Yeah, Whereas yeah. the best Lynch ones are more like they're like short films that almost stand on their own and they're great, but they don't give you the sense that Twin Peaks could have lasted as a TV show. Sure. Like you almost watch those and you're like, well, I can see why this didn't work as a TV show. Like it's hmm. it's almost, you know, it's brilliant, but it, it doesn't fit into that sort of serialized narrative format. Whereas when Frost was sort of running things, um, it's it's just like, it's so engaging. Like I can see, I, I never watched Twin Peaks on TV, but when I watch like episodes four or five or six, um, I have the sense of like, almost like it's spring of 1990 and it's, oh, it's, was it nine or 10, Ben, that it was on? Uh, 10 o'clock? Uh- uh, yeah, 10 o'clock, yeah. Okay. Uh, at least on the the East Coast, it was 10 o'clock. Okay, yeah, so it's like, oh, it's 10 o'clock, you get your bowl of popcorn, and you yeah. sit there for an hour, and you watch, and then you can't wait to see what happens next week. Mm. And those episodes have that in spades. So. Oh, yeah. So I would love to um, really dig into his past, like watch all the episodes he wrote for Hill Street Blues, because he mm. wrote dozens and dozens. And I mean, he ran, he was like the Harley Payton of that show for several seasons. Mm. Like, he was the one who... The creator, I think, was Stephen Bochco right. and somebody else whose name I can't remember. And, you know, they brought Frost on first as a freelance writer, wrote three episodes hmm. um, for one of the seasons, which is the only one I've seen so far, uh, the only episodes I've seen because they're the only ones that are online. You have hmm. to buy like a $150 oh, box wow. set. So maybe we'll figure out, you know, maybe we'll get a publisher's advance. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I have no idea how this project will unfold, but I'm excited for it. I'm so. excited too. There's, I mean, there's so much, I th- there's so many different directions you can go with it. I, yes. I, I, yeah. I'm very fascinated by it. I'm fascinated that all the friends and his family members that he brought into the show as well. Yeah. I mean, like he yeah. really shaped the show the a Minneapolis lot. Minneapolis thing. Yeah. So that's really cool. And he has a very specific sensibility and vision, which... You know, just to tie things up from the mythology part, like I said, Frost is the one who laid all that groundwork. And it's amazing how as much off script as he goes and as Lynchian as he makes it, um, all of what Lynch, everything Lynch is doing springs from those decisions that Frost made narratively. Mm. Um, He's really, he really is building on that. And even in Firewalk With Me, which I would never have thought the first (laughs) many times I saw it, 
little by little, as I, as I tied the show into the film and looked at the connections, I realized, you know, actually, even in that film, um, he's kind of building on a sort of a template that was established with Frost. Mm-hmm. Even when he's subverting it, that he can't subvert it if it isn't there in the first place. And parts of it is, is he's fulfilling it. So yeah, very yeah. fascinating. It's really something. I think about I think about how uh, the the whole series started at least at the end with the whole uh, European version of the Red Room and then yeah. how they used that idea where Mark Frost said, "Okay, I'm going to make it into a whole yeah. clues and stuff," and he built it up to be a real story. Yeah. And yeah. then we go full circle. I mean, we get to the end of the series, and it's now Lynch taking Mark Frost's idea exactly. and and fleshing it out to be the Black Lodge. And it's yeah. kind of funny how they, in a way they really did work well together and stuff, kind of hand in hand. But uh. Yeah, so I can't Daniel wait. Daniel wrote a letter to Sparkwood in 21 that was like the best, like most succinct um, sort of summary of that idea that I've heard. Hmm. Um, I think it was on the, I think it was on the Firewalk with Me feedback episode. Of yeah. That. But it was just like a perfect, like, j- like exactly that. It's it's this idea of like this yin and yang, these two figures because. I think in the pilot, they complemented each other perfectly. Mm. And they talk about how, like, they can't remember whose idea was what because yeah. they were, like, <laughs> so synchronized. But they're so out of sync by the end of the show. And that's yeah. what's fascinating. Um, and I hope if we do pursue that subject, maybe that's something we can dig into a little is, is sort of that cleaving that took place. Because in a way, the pilot is the tip of a three-year iceberg where um, Frost and Lynch were writing together for years, unproduced screenplays on Marilyn Monroe, on a whole alien race beneath the sea, on a, mm. the, the saliva bubble with Martin yeah. and, uh, Short and <laughs> Steve Martin. Like, they had all these projects, so they were, like, bosom buddies. Mm. And it's almost like at the exact moment that one of the projects finally came to fruition is when they started to almost kind of drift apart because that pilot is the last time you see them working. Maybe episode two yeah. um, is the last time you really see them working that closely in sync. And then after that, it's they're drifting apart. And when Lynch isn't there, Frost is running the show. And then when Lynch steps in, he kind of just does his own thing. And they're still building off each other, but it's almost more of an antagonistic relationship at that point, mm. um, where they're kind of one person will contribute something and the other one will kind of almost bring it. You know what it's like? It's like Lennon and McCartney. Huh. It's, but, and I actually, yeah. Frost made that comparison and and kind of said, you know, I think it, to, to the extent of did Lennon got all the credit and Lynch gets all the credit when he was in one of his, when they were probably in one of their lower moments. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but but it's very much like the Lennon-McCartney thing with sort of one figure providing the kind of the spice um, and the other one kind of providing the, the melody in a way. Hmm. I see that Very definitely. Cool. Well, I think this is a good place to wrap up. Oh, man. It is. I had one more thing I wanted to throw, um, which is I cleared with Ben beforehand. My sure. advice for, for Brian watching Firewalk with me. All righty. So he said these weren't too spoilery. So I, <laughs> I like to have I like to have three pieces of advice that I've, I've offered people because it can be – I th- you're probably well prepared enough at this point. But yeah. people go into it and they're shocked, and sometimes they don't like it, which is fine, you know, too. I mean – Go with your natural reaction here. We're not going to like force you and you come back and be like, you, you know, must like oh, this. And, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah like because a lot <laughs> of people, you're not a Twin Peaks fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't like it the first time they see it, and then they go back and they end up loving it. You yeah. know, um, and some people love it right away. Some people hate it. Whatever. But 
um, people are often shocked because it isn't what they're expecting. Mm. Um, and you've probably already gotten a sense of some of why that is. Yeah. But the, the, the three pieces of advice I offer to people and make sure I have this all <laughs> in the right. So the first thing to think of, um, when you're watching Firewalk with me is, um, it's not like the show and it's not meant to be. So okay. th- that's the first thing. We've, yeah. Trace that, but I mean fundamentally, it's mm. nothing like the show. Like, it feels, smells, looks different, everything. And you'll see that when you watch it. Uh, there are obviously connections, but yeah. but it feels like no other show, movie that was made from a show. So that's thing number one. Point number two is it's a horror film. Mm. Uh, you don't have to watch it that way. I, I don't think it occurred to me that it was a horror film until I'd watched it several times. Yeah, but And it, it defies that genre, too. It isn't any one particular genre, but I think people are a lot, it's a lot easier for them to kind of have a framework for it when they realize that he isn't making a quirky comedy anymore. He's Mm -hmm. making a a horror film um, in several senses of the word, in the slasher sense, in the um, spooky haunted house sense, Mm -hmm. um, in several ways. That's, if if you had to pick a genre, that's, that's the genre you would, and and people have found it there in video stores, you know. Hmm, interesting. Uh, stacked in the high. I think one of the people. I think Bob Engel said, who who co-wrote it with Lynch. He said he went into a video store and, and found it in the horror section. He said, "Why is this in the horror section?" <laughs> the guy said, "Because it's a horror film." Yeah. And he went, "Oh yeah, I, I wrote that, and I didn't even realize that." That's funny. So that's point number two, and point number three is don't try and figure it all out the first time you see it. In fact, I would say we're going to have a great discussion mm. picking apart its every little thing. And there's so much to see there, but it's really better to watch it the way you said you watched the finale, which yeah. is as an experience, um, so much is thrown at you. And I think the more people try to cling to it and be like, well, this means that or that, they get lost and confused and kind of angry. And it's really better to experience it like as a dream that's happening to you. And don't try to say, don't try, don't try to make logical sense of it. At least that first time, just let it flow over. You. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, so that's my, that's those are my yeah. three pieces of advice. And I'll say, going out, uh, Firewalk with me is far and away my favorite part of Twin Peaks. And as a huge movie buff who loves, like I've got extremely diverse taste. I love silent movies. I love, and I've been watching movies for twenty five years. Hmm. I could say this is probably my favorite film of all time. Wow! Wow! wow. So. Not to put, you know, <laughs> by all means, but but I I truly love this movie, and I yeah. think it's it can stand with the great works of art of any era of any form. Mm. Um, cool, I, and it's it's, yeah. it's flawed and it's messy as well, but it's it's a masterpiece. Yeah. I, I'm excited. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I it, it's uh, for me not to like something. It takes a lot. I generally like a lot of things and yeah um, you'll find it interesting at least mm, yeah that much <laughs> well plenty of, well plenty to talk about i mean like like yeah Joel i said, can't wait yeah, can't i'm wait. so excited so for that and to hear the other ones too yeah um i i i ben probably hasn't i'm guessing you haven't discussed it with him too much because it would be kind of spoilery but each i think each of the guests kind of has a different aspect of the film to mm. discuss right yeah right. yeah yeah, and also I see I sent you guys that um, that thing that I think you mentioned that Maya might come on. I think she would be a great person to talk about Laura with because she wrote this mm. beautiful piece on her blog about what the film meant to her as you know a, as a young girl watching mm. it and identifying with Laura Palmer, knowing people like her, and, and sort of 
having her take her personal take. And I think that's always a great thing to kind of bring to it because you've got mythology, you've got that sort of stuff, but there's a very human element to it that uh, I think she'll bring out wonderfully. Yeah. yeah she and did mention John to me. Scott she wants to be on the show. That and, yeah. yeah. That'd be awesome. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be an awesome month. I'm excited too. I'm very excited. Awesome. Well, thank you, Joel, for coming yes. on the show. Yeah, thank and... you, guys. Sorry we went so far over and had all those technical difficulties. Oh, no problem. But nobody will even Hopefully know about Nobody will know. We'll have it cleaned there. up and they won't even know. Yeah. So I'll say, I'll repeat it again. We'll try to close this out. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you, Joel. And like, you know, we, there were so many things we didn't cover and I would recommend going to YouTube, uh, do a search for Journey Through Twin Peaks, Joel's video essays, and he's got a lot of great stuff on Twin Peaks that you guys should check out. Yeah. Thanks, Joel. And where, All right. where can people find you, Joel? Social. Uh, they can find me on uh, Twitter, at Lost in the Movies. You can find me on Tumblr, uh, Lost in the Movies, I guess, dot Tumblr, dot? I, I don't know. I can't remember how the addresses work, but it's got dashes between. <laughs> we'll just say Tumblr. And, uh, yeah. And the big, a... I mean, the main one is my main blog. Everything's linked up there, including a big page of all my Twin Peaks links, posts over the years. Um, and that's the dancingimage.blogspot.com. Cool. 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 Uh, plus, I'm on uh, Lost in the Movies on YouTube and Vimeo. And I, and yeah, okay. <laughs> cool. And you can find us Scattered at to the winds. Twin Peaks Unwrapped. And, um... <laughs> Do you want to repeat that? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find us at Twin Peaks Unwrapped uh, on Twitter. We're on Facebook. And we're getting a lot of good feedback and we're free. Subscribe to us. Give us those five stars. Comments on iTunes. And you can email us at twinpeaksunwrapped at gmail.com. I would, I want to start reading more comments and emails on the show, but this show has gone on long enough. Like, I don't want to, like, next week, <laughs> next week, I, I would like to start get, diving into more of the comments. Oh, and I agree. Emails. I mean, yeah. we're, we're, gonna, we're at some point where we get to a point where it's going to be a weekly thing. We're yeah, going to do, definitely. we're going to do comments, a uh, weekly thing. I start, yeah. Str- yeah. yeah. So we'll and find- even before that, you guys said you were gonna, you're gonna, you might have a feedback episode, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would yeah. be awesome. I always love when shows do that. When yeah. the podcasts do that, you know, totally. And a lot of fun, definitely. We 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 had one last year. We we're probably gonna do another one this we'll year. De- we'll definitely do one in December because that seems yeah. like a good time yep. to do it. But we'll try to get one before then. Yep. Well, before we sign off, I got one more very simple question that you won't be able to answer, Brian. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you ready? Yes. How's Annie? Uh, um, she's dead. No, she's. I don't know. How's Annie? How's Annie? How's Annie? How's Annie? Um, how, like, isn't Annie all right? Is um, it Annie okay? Well, the, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, doesn't Truman say Annie's okay? Yeah, I think yes. He does. I th- he does I th- say yes. Yeah. I think so. So Annie's you think she's okay. still in the hospital? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so thinks. maybe we do have an answer. Yeah, maybe I think now. Annie's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but Cooper's still asking, even though he's been told uh, she's all right in the hospital. Uh, he, he's he's like, mocking How's him. Annie? How's Annie? He doesn't even care about Annie anymore. Oh, man. He doesn't care. So we're going to end the show with a, a clip from a, one of Joel's uh, Journey Through Twin Peaks. So thank you. Nice. Thank you. Finally, most importantly... Lynch brings back Sarah Palmer. Well, you were right. There's the Major. And Sarah will not be the last Palmer we see. I'm in the Black Lodge with Dan Cooper. If Lynch adds to the script in Twin Peaks, inside the Black Lodge, he abandons it completely. 
There we learn that the Red Room of Cooper's Dream is in fact the Lodge. Cooper is greeted by the little man, who will soon reunite him with Giant, the room service waiter, Maddie Ferguson, and Leland Palmer. Twin Peaks remembers its roots after all. But it is also about to plunge deeply into the unknown.